This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of ankle arthritis from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Ankle arthritis is defined as osteoarthritis of the tibio-talar joint. As far as the epidemiology, ankle arthritis is less common than osteoarthritis of the knee and the hip. With respect to pathophysiology, causes of ankle arthritis include post-traumatic arthritis, primary osteoarthritis, and other etiologies that may include rheumatoid arthritis, osteonecrosis, neuropathic conditions, septic conditions, gout, and hemophilia. With respect to post-traumatic arthritis, this is the most common etiology, accounting for greater than two-thirds of all ankle arthritis. Primary osteoarthritis accounts for less than 10% of all ankle arthritis. With respect to the pathoanatomy of ankle arthritis, non-anatomic fracture healing alters the joint contact forces of the ankle and changes the load-bearing mechanics of the ankle joint. Loss of cartilage on the tailor body and the tibial plafond results in joint space narrowing, subchondral sclerosis, and eburnation. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. With respect to the osteology, the ankle is a ginglamous joint that includes the tibia, talus, and fibula. Keep in mind that the talar dome is biconcave with a central sulcus. As far as range of motion, ankle dorsiflexion is approximately 20 degrees and ankle plantar flexion is approximately 50 degrees. With respect to classification of ankle arthritis, the one to know is the Takakura classification and this is divided into four stages. Stage one is early sclerosis and osteophyte formation and no joint space narrowing. Stage two is narrowing of the medial joint space with no subchondral bone contact. Stage three is subdivided into 3A and 3B. Stage 3A is obliteration of the joint space at the medial malleolus with subchondral bone contact, and stage 3B is obliteration of the joint space over the roof of the talar dome with subchondral bone contact. And finally, stage 4 is obliteration of the joint space with complete bone contact. Presentation of ankle arthritis includes symptoms of pain with weight bearing as well as loss of motion. Physical exam may reveal joint effusion, pain with range of motion testing, loss of range of motion compared to the contralateral side, and an angular deformity may be present depending on the history of trauma. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a weight-bearing AP, lateral, and obliques. Radiographic findings include loss of joint space, subchondral sclerosis and cysts, ebernation, and possible angular deformity. Treatment of ankle arthritis can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes activity modification, bracing to immobilize the ankle, and NSAIDs, and this is indicated as the first line of treatment in mild disease. Keep in mind that a single rocker sole shoe modification can improve gait and pain symptoms. As far as operative options, surgical management is indicated upon failure of conservative treatment in a patient with radiographic evidence of ankle arthritis. Now let's go over some surgical techniques in a bit more detail and these surgical techniques include ankle debridement with an anterior tibial-slash-dorsal talar exostectomy, distraction arthroplasty, supramalleolar osteotomy, arthrodesis, and arthroplasty. With respect to ankle debridement with anterior tibial-slash-dorsal talar exostectomy, this is indicated in mild disease with pain during push-off. A distraction arthroplasty has controversial indications. However, the ideal candidate is younger than 45 years old with post-traumatic arthritis. Indications may include well-preserved ankle range of motion, moderate to severe arthritis, congruent tibiotalar surface, and can also be indicated for partial avascular necrosis of the talus. A supramalleolar osteotomy is indicated for near-normal range of motion, 
minimal talar tilt or varus heel alignment, and a medially focused ankle arthritis. That is stage 2 or 3A according to the Takakura Tanaka classification for varus type osteoarthritis. An arthrodesis is indicated for post-traumatic or inflammatory arthritis, as well as malalignment with osteotomy. As far as outcomes of arthrodesis, there is reliable relief of pain and return to activities of daily living. As far as complications, long-term studies demonstrate subtalar arthrosis. 50% of patients demonstrated subtalar arthrosis 10 years following ankle arthrodesis in one study. Risk factors for nonunion include smoking, adjacent joint fusion, history of failed previous arthrodesis, and avascular necrosis. Revision arthrodesis union rates are 85% or greater. Finally, let's talk about arthroplasty. As far as indications, patient selection is crucial. Indications include post-traumatic or inflammatory arthritis as well as an elderly patient. Contraindications include uncorrectable deformity, severe osteoporosis, talus osteonecrosis, a Charcot joint, ankle instability, obesity, and young laborers increase the risk of failure and revision. With respect to techniques, new generation arthroplasty minimizes bony resection, retains soft tissue stabilizers, and relies on anatomic balancing. With respect to outcomes, recent 5-10 to 10 year outcome studies demonstrate up to 90% good to excellent clinical results, and long-term studies are still pending on the newest generation of ankle arthroplasty. Keep in mind that ankle arthroplasty outcomes have shown increased gait speed and stride length. Complications of ankle arthroplasty include syndesmosis nonunion and can also include wound infection, deep infection, and osteolysis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 59-year-old male presents with severe post-traumatic ankle arthritis. Which of the following functional outcomes would be expected if the patient was treated with ankle arthrodesis as compared to total ankle arthroplasty? And the choices are 1. Decreased stride length, 2. Increased stride length, 3. Increased stride velocity, 4. Decreased hip abduction, and 5. Decreased leg length inequality. So several studies have reported improved gait after ankle arthroplasty as compared to ankle arthrodesis. Ankle arthroplasty has been shown to have an increased stride length, cadence, and stride velocity as compared to ankle arthrodesis. So the correct answer to this question is 1. Decreased stride length. To quickly review, total ankle arthroplasty and arthrodesis are the two main streams of treatment for end-stage ankle arthritis. Despite the reduced ankle mobility, arthrodesis is shown to improve patients' function markedly, including pain relief and improved walking ability. However, this procedure could cause several complications such as nonunion, malalignment, infection, and the development of osteoarthritis in neighboring joints. Another surgical option for end-stage arthritis of the ankle is total ankle arthroplasty. Previously, total ankle arthroplasty was discouraged because of the poor clinical results and high rates of prosthetic loosening. However, total ankle arthroplasty has recently gained popularity with the advent of more anatomically sound designs and improved surgical techniques. This procedure can preserve ankle motion and relieve pain, although revision surgery for prosthetic loosening still remains problematic. Flavin et al. examined ankle arthrodesis and ankle arthroplasty patients one year postoperatively using three-dimensional gait analysis. Both groups had better function than preoperative measurements, but neither group functioned as well as normal controls. Total ankle arthroplasty produced more symmetrical ground reaction force curve, while ankle arthrodesis patients had better coronal plane parameters. 
Snedeker et al. reviewed the biomechanics of the normal and arthritic ankle joint. They discussed the alteration of adjacent midfoot and hindfoot joint biomechanics with ankle joint degeneration and how this can lead to secondary midfoot and hindfoot joint arthritis. Moving on to the next question. Medial opening wedge supramalleolar osteotomy is considered a treatment option for ankle osteoarthritis. In which of the following scenarios would this procedure be most appropriate? And the choices are 1. Complete obliteration of the ankle joint space with bone-on-bone contact, as well as valgus ankle alignment. 2. No joint space narrowing, but early ankle joint sclerosis and osteophyte formation, as well as valgus ankle alignment. 3. Symptomatic narrowing of the ankle joint space medially, as well as varus ankle alignment. 4. Symptomatic narrowing of the ankle joint space laterally, as well as neutral ankle alignment and 5. Obliteration of the medial joint space that extends to the roof of the Taylor dome, as well as varus ankle alignment. So medial opening wedge supramalleolar osteotomy would be most appropriate in patients with symptomatic narrowing of the ankle joint space medially and varus ankle alignment. So the correct answer to this question is 3. Symptomatic narrowing of the ankle joint space medially, as well as varus ankle alignment. To quickly review, medial opening wedge supramalleolar osteotomy is considered a joint-preserving surgical technique. It is indicated for the treatment of ankle osteoarthritis in patients with minimal talar tilt and varus heel alignment. The Takakura classification system classifies varus ankle arthritis into four stages. Supramalleolar osteotomy has been shown to be effective for patients in stage 2 or stage 3A, but clinical results for patients with stage 3B are unsatisfactory. Lee et al. reviewed the indications for supramalleolar osteotomy. They believe that by shifting the ankle joint load line lateral, this will redistribute the medial concentration of stress within the ankle joint. Pagenstert et al. followed 35 consecutive patients with post-traumatic ankle osteoarthritis. Using realignment techniques, including supramalleolar osteotomy, they showed improvements in patient walking ability and the functional parts of the American Foot and Ankle Society score. Moving on to the next question. The single rocker sole shoe modification is best indicated for relief of pain in patients with what foot or ankle pathology? And the choices are 1. Midfoot prominences associated with Charcot arthropathy. 2. Severe toe tip ulcerations. 3. End-stage tibiotalar arthritis with limited motion. 4. Fixed ankle dorsiflexion deformity. Or 5. Fixed planovalgus deformity. So a single rocker sole shoe modification is intended to increase propulsion at toe-off decrease pressure on the heel strike, and reduce the need for ankle motion. It is indicated for use in patients with severe tibiotalar or subtalar arthritis or those status post-fusion of these joints. Janice et al. review shoe modifications and foot orthoses as they relate to the non-surgical management of foot and ankle pathology. With regards to rocker soles, they describe the six types and how each is specifically used for an individual patient's foot problem. In general, the biomechanical effects of the rocker soles are restoring lost motion in the foot and ankle and offloading plantar pressure on some part of the foot. Use of a rocker sole can result in overall improvement in gait. So the correct answer to this question is 3. End-stage tibiotalar arthritis with limited motion is an indication to use the single rocker sole shoe modification. Moving on to the next question. For patients with ankle arthritis and angular deformity, which of the following procedures provides the greatest change in forces at the ankle? And the choices are 1. Deltoid ligament reconstruction, 2. Lateral ankle ligament reconstruction, 3. Calcaneal osteotomy, 4. Tibial osteotomy, 
and 5 Peroneus longus to Peroneus brevis tendon transfer. So the procedure that is able to create the largest change in the forces across the ankle joint is the tibial osteotomy. The other procedures are important adjunctive procedures for given deformities, but alone are not as powerful. Whether a tibial osteotomy or other procedure or procedures are used for treatment of ankle arthritis depends on the severity of the arthritis as well as the magnitude and location of the deformity. So the correct answer to this question is 4, tibial osteotomy. And moving on to the final question, all the following have been recognized as risk factors for non-union or delayed union following subtalar arthrodesis except, and the choices are 1, smoking, 2, failure of previous subtalar arthrodesis, 3, more than 2 millimeters of avascular bone at the arthrodesis site, 4, prior ipsilateral failed tibiotalar arthrodesis, and 5, use of autograft. So easily at all, reported on a series of isolated subtalar arthrodeses in adults. Their results suggest that the outcome following isolated subtalar arthrodesis is not as favorable as has been reported in previous studies. The rate of union was significantly diminished by smoking, the presence of more than 2 millimeters of avascular bone at the arthrodesis site, and the failure of a previous subtalar arthrodesis with a p-value of less than 0.05 for all. Other factors that probably affect the union rate include the use of structural allograft and performance of the arthrodesis adjacent to the site of a previous ankle arthrodesis. So the correct answer to this question is 5, use of autograft. That's all for this review about ankle arthritis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.